Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I am Dane Wallace here with Freya Spence, and we have a very special guest today, Mr. Chris Flo Flores. Chris has been a personal trainer for 20 years and an athletic trainer for the past 10. Over his years in the industry, it became very clear that nothing physical will ever make a difference without the appropriate change in mindset. As such, Chris founded his Flowosophy program, where he speaks to athletic programs, coaches, and does one-on-one training with people from around the world. Chris is also the creator of the Rooted Rehab Certification for Athletic Trainers and is an animal foam master instructor located in the United States. Without further ado, Chris, welcome to What's the Move up? Daily Health Podcast, brother. Good to uh, good to speak with you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good to be on this podcast. I'm excited for you guys. I think this is gonna be a this is gonna be a good one. No, it's a true privilege to have you on the podcast today, and we're really looking forward to dissecting some of the current projects that you've developed over the last several years. One thing we didn't mention is that you've spoken at large to adults, teens, worked with all sorts of populations, and we want to know a little bit more about that. Um, do you want to start us off by explaining to the audience kind of what brought you to your current program with the Flowosophy? Yeah, actually, ironically, it was what, what the catalyst was, was first seeing all the athletes and, and working with different populations of kids as an athletic trainer, being on the sidelines, um, being in the personal training realm and working with people and figuring out why certain things just didn't work. Like you had the best program, you had the best intentions and everything was right. And the person still wasn't successful and starting to realize it was all their mindset. So I kept reading different books on it and on athlete, on the athletic edge, on like mind gym and things like that. And came to the conclusion that was all about basically like Jedi mind tricking people into doing the things you want them to do. Um, and then I you know, got into presenting and talking about it. And ironically, Alicia from Australia, who's a master instructor for Animal Flow as well, uh, one day we were on a call and she's like, when are you going to start doing your own thing? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you post all this stuff on, on Facebook about mindset, like emotional stuff and all these things that have nothing, the outside world would think have nothing to do with fitness, but we know now has everything to do with movement and, and everything else. And she was like, why don't you do your own thing? And I'm like, you know what? Like, I should just put something out there. So then I have been using uh, the name Flowosophy for my clients and just talking about mindset and the way I think and the way we want people in our gym to think. And so I just took that name and started running with it. And now it's it's what it's become now. So it's funny. You create something and then people just start saying it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um and uh, go figure alicia little um shit disturber oh, is the one who put that out there that's awesome uh, that's fantastic though and um with regards to the mindset training when you started your philosophy videos kind of where did you where did you start with that did you start on facebook as a platform did you start with speaking to some of your students in person like where was your start in terms of trying to outreach create outreach if you go back and you can look at this on youtube probably i would say 2010 or 11 um i started doing what i call chalk talk which I would sit in front of a whiteboard and just start talking about like motivational stuff um, because I had gotten to like motivational speaking early on and it really helped me build my career and, and motivate me when I was younger. So I was like, I want to do that like for other people. And so I started doing these chalk talks on YouTube uh, again, like 2011 and no one else, no one would given the opportunity to present. It was really funny. Um, I was talking to different like venues and be like, Hey, can I present at your conference? And everyone's like, who are you? Um, so and no one would give me opportunity. So I was like, well, I got to kind of create it myself then. And so I started talking on YouTube was the first one I started doing these kind of talks and, and talking about mindset and changing the way you think. And also I didn't have a lot of clients at the time because I had just opened up the business. So between clients when I was sitting around the gym doing nothing, I figured, let me make this time productive and started doing those talks. And then it went from that to my boss at the high school at the time. She saw what I was doing. She was like, do you want to come talk to our athletes one day? And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Actually, no, she started wanting to talk to the coaches. So I did this whole leadership presentation for the coaches, which is my first presentation in front of, like, you know, it's harder to talk in front of peers than it is to talk in front of strangers. Yeah. And here I am talking in front of coaches, and I'm like 20, you know, 28, 27 at the time, and all these coaches are in, like, 30s and 40s, and I'm telling them how to be leaders. 
And it was very funny because a lot of it was just based off textbook stuff. And then as the years went on, my presentations went from textbook talk to more of my own stories. And now, and now it's just experience and story after story because I've lived what I've been talking about for so long. That's awesome. And yeah, we definitely understand that like speaking in front of peers has a very different feel to it, especially speaking to ones that have had perhaps a longer time in the industry, but you're taking on a new approach perhaps to what they've been doing for, for a long time. And with your athletes, how was that received? How was that kind of mindset training? Because there's a lot going on in terms of mindset training now with elite level athletes and then just everybody in between right back from, from rehab in terms of controlling pain and stuff. So how was that received with the populations you worked with primarily at the high school? And then now how do you integrate that into your space? Um, at the high school level, it was received very well. Uh, my thing was, though, there had to be no coaches in the room. Um, because what happens is when you have a parent or a coach in the room, the kids are still, like, have that guardian figure over them so they don't let loose. So when you ask a question to an audience, to be brutally honest, if a coach is there, the kid's not going to answer the question to their full honesty because they're still like, ooh, my coach is watching, right? So the first one I did was, like, an anxiety and performance anxiety. And the reason I did that one first, because that's what I had when I played basketball, I would, I would crush it in practice. And then you put me in front of an audience and I would just freeze up. And it was like, what, like, what is this thing that I can't perform when there's a whole audience, but you put me on the street and it's like, I'm destroying these kids. Um, and so it was, it's performance anxiety. I realized that in my thirties now, I wish I knew that at 16. Um, but I, I, I was talking to these kids about it. And the first thing was just relating to them and letting them know it's okay. Like, we get it. Everyone goes through this. And when you can like share your story first, it kind of knocks the barrier down. So they're willing to share. And I had kids come up to me afterwards. And, you know, to this day, I see, I saw one of the kids I did for a college speech recently. And he was like, I still think about that, like find your number that I talked about during the presentation. And they really, they really buy in, but it really has to be an intimate setting and you have to be willing to be vulnerable yourself. And then the rest of the audience will be vulnerable with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it, it's so great that you're you're able to reach these kids at a younger age as well, because this is something that, you know, if I even relate back to the sport of strongman, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, crush it in the gym and then they get out on the actual competition and they, again, it's like performance anxiety, like it's they don't believe in themselves or they just, they don't have it when they're out there in front of a big crowd. Um, and so it's one of these things to be able to reach these kids at such a young age and be able to make an impact on them that can help them not just in their athletic careers moving forward, but I'm sure that, you know, they found that this helped them in all their other endeavors in life too, right? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, th- I think everyone wants to separate everything. Like we, we try to put things in compartments and label them when you realize when you look at like a take a step back um, from the big picture, like they say, you, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. You kind of kind of step back and look at it as a whole and you're like, the same things that help you with athletics, help you with school, help you with life, help you with raising children, like all this stuff is the same. And I think people think like, oh, I suck at work, but I'm great here. Like, no, it's the same thing. You can carry it along with you because no matter where you go, there you are. And I think people don't recognize that. And when you can step back and look at it, you're like, yeah, you can do good in the sport. You can also do good in at work. You can also do good at parenting. You can also do good at whatever else you want to do because the same traits or the same characteristics carry over that's awesome and that's something I've always like with some of the younger athletes that I've worked with and then with myself one of the processes was in leaving ballet and leaving that world it was like oh my god it was my identity and then I realized oh no it helped me develop so many actual character traits that I can then apply to everything else and so that's something I work on with some of the younger um, athletes I'm working with is that you know you've got your sport but identify within and outside of that, the, the you pieces. Now, There's you... definitely too much of that, though. I mean, I'll tell yeah. you a quick story before you go. There was a, um, a gymnast I was working with, and she came into the athletic training room, and she was, like, down. Like, this girl's usually bubbly and happy. She walks in, like, looked like someone killed her dog. She was so sad. I was like, what's going on? She's like, oh, none of the coaches are recruiting me. I sent my video. That, like, these people haven't got back to me. And so she identified with if she got into college, then she was, you know, solidified or is – then she meant something if she got to college. And I sat there and asked her, like, tell me about you. Like, what defines you? If someone had to say who you are, what would they say? And she's like, oh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm a good friend. I'm these other things. 
And I was like, these coaches may not want your particular skill set now because they're looking for something to fit in that may not be what you do, but it doesn't define you as a person. You as a person, these things you just told me about. And you see like this switch go off in this girl's head and she like, left the room back to her bubbly self. And it was just that shift in perspective that's all she needed because she was identifying her value with if this coach wanted her or not. Not realizing that it may have nothing to do with her skill. Maybe the coaches need someone who's better at uneven bars and didn't need someone who's good at beam, you know? Absolutely. So giving them that perspective is like, wow, you know, it's it's still me at the end of the day, whether these coaches want me or not. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big thing that, you know, we speak to a lot of clients about is, is your filter for success. You know, success means different things to different people. And if your filter is, you know, is so focused on one specific area, it's so easy to have these blind spots to realize you know, where you're just crushing in other areas. And if your filter is off, I mean, you're going to struggle so much with that identity. But if you can just shift that frame a little bit, I mean, you can change the entire course of your life just by changing how you, you know, how you filter things. Yeah, but it's tough now because of, of social media. Oh, yeah. Everyone, everyone's chasing either the look on social media or they want the Lamborghini or they want, you know, the special house that they see the person in the YouTube video having. And so we're chasing a level of success that is not really a, a measure of success because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But because we see that all the time, that's what we assume. Like people will think I'm successful if I have this. And it's like when actuality, no one actually cares. <laughs> no one cares at all. Like I keep telling people how my dream car is a minivan and people don't believe me. And I'm like, I love minivans. Like to me, success would be the one day I get my minivan. And I can push this around, except my girl doesn't want one. She's She thinks they're hideous. But honestly, to me, that's a measure of success. Like the one day I get them and be like, hell yeah, I made it. You know what I mean? So it's it's everyone has the things that they want and, and the measure they, how they measure success or how they define it to themselves. Yeah, and I'll fully admit, like I often go get rental cars because we don't own a car here. But uh, I often go get rental cars and I'll have like, you know, a medium size picked out. And then they'll have nothing but minivans left. And the first time I got a minivan, I was like, man, this is terrible. Then I started driving one. Man, those things can go. Like they got nice pickups. You're nice and high. You ride around. It's it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, they're tight, man. Cockpit, man. It's like all this room in the middle. Like I love those things, man. And, and people think I'm nuts. I'm like, yo, dude, until you drive one and, and like be in it, you don't understand. You know what's funny about this too is when I was younger, not to stay on the minivan topic too long, but when I was younger, I told my mom, we, we grew up without a car. When we moved to Canada, we uh, didn't have cars because my parents just biked everywhere. We walked everywhere. And I said, when I grow up, I want to get a minivan. And my mom was like, why? I said, so I can do more stuff. Because I thought this is the greatest container to be able to hold all the things that I then want to go do. <laughs> Which is terrible, but... Everything, every need could go in there. Could go in there. So, 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 now you work with all populations in your gym, is that correct? Yes, actually we just started shifting to more of the adult population from the high school athlete and all that stuff, so yes. Awesome, so how, how does some of the mindset training that you do um, work with that population that's in a very different... Obviously we all need that kind of training, but that works they're in a different environment entirely and you have a mindset training program that you can bring people through. How does that integrate with the people who are not in like a varsity sport and are, you know, your office jockeys and that kind of thing? How does that work? That's a great question. And, um, no, none of my clients, the adult clients have asked me to do specifically like work with them on the mindset coaching stuff. Cause there is a specific program I'll put people through when they work with me on it. Um, and obviously it'll be an extra charge or whatever, but the irony of it, and why I say it's a good question, especially now, is I just finished talking to my college class about like the art of coaching. And so I think a lot of people are so focused on the like the programming, what exercise mm -hmm. are the right, all this stuff in fitness, which is great. I think everyone's going to go through that, especially as they, as they move up in their career. But you get to a point where the art of how you coach a room or how you coach people really changes, and you learn how to talk to everybody so differently. It's like speaking different, like multiple languages. And so what I do is that you kind of, again, I say Jedi mind trick, you kind of weave it into your session, into the exercises they're doing. So for example, if they can't do a specific exercise or they say like, oh, here comes this one. I'm like, if you approach it with that attitude, you're, it's not going to be good. But if you just say, okay, just do it. Like you end up doing it anyway, but you complain while you do the thing. So if you did not complain about it, you would just do the exercise and you would recognize that you're actually being successful in this moment. 
And you tell them something like that, and then they kind of give you this weird look, and then like, damn, you know, they're kind of right. Because every exercise you complain about, but you still do it anyway. So it takes the same amount of energy to complain as to be like, yes, this is awesome. I'm about to crush it, you know. Um, so you just weave it into the sessions, and you have to find, especially with adults I found, you have to find the teachable moments. Um, you can't force it on people. Because I no. think other trainers try to do that, where it's rah-rah and like, you have to have a positive mindset now. Like, eh, doesn't like that. Those rah rah stuff may work for some people, but I found majority don't like it. They kind of go along with it just because it's like, all right, this is the gym setting. This is what's expected. But if you can find a teachable moment where it's appropriate to 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 talk about that kind of stuff, you notice that people like it, and then they'll like almost look for it more because they, it it feels good for them. So they'll try and ask you questions about it, and slowly they'll start to trust you and believe in you, and then. You know, you get the clients after a session, like, hey, do you have a second to talk? And things like things of that nature start to come about. So it's it's fun, but you got to find the right moments to put it in. You can't force it on people. Oh, absolutely. We totally agree with you. And really, we we talk about building consciousness into the sessions, right, through the movement, but then also how they feel about certain things. And we're not talking about, like, are you sad about it? Are you emotional about it? But just like, no, really, is if you are approaching that with a, like, I suck at this, that's a pretty relevant thing to pay attention to. Um, now in contrast to working with clients, what's the rooted rehab certification? Tell us a little bit more about that. That's, um, something I, over the years at the high school, what I found was that I was looking for a way to develop rehab programs. So the athletes can kind of self like take care of themselves. Um, reason being at the high school level, uh, with athletic training, you you get like 30 kids at a time. It's not this one-on-one rehab where people can, like a PT clinic or a college setting or a pro setting. You literally got 30 athletes and all different sports. So I may have four cross-country kids, um, two soccer players, five football players, and three field hockey players all at the same time doing a rehab program. And it's just too much for one person to just have that one-on-one attention. So what you start seeing after a while, if you notice patterns or recognize patterning, it's like, well, these athletes need this type of stuff. So it's more of a systematic approach to rehab. So you look at the athlete, and instead of just looking at their knee, which most people do, like, all right, my knee hurts, let's look at the knee. You do a quick assessment. You, 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 I use um, like the fascial slings to think about it more. So I'll have them do certain movements, and then we'll be like, all right, your knee hurts, but like your adductors aren't firing right, your glutes are weak, your core is not stable, your, your foot's collapsing, so it's causing your knee issue. So you design the program based on the root issue or the root cause. So if the root cause is the core and the foot, then we're going to address that in the rehab, and then the knee just gets better on its own. We don't ignore the knee, but let's say, for example, athlete comes in, medial knee pain. I see them, they're in the single leg squat, they have a valgus collapse. Then we'll have them do some soft tissue work. From there, we do some activation stuff. From the activation, then we'll go into flexibility work. Then we'll go into strengthening everything around it. Maybe it's some short foots on the BOSU mat or something some mini band work, something for the glutes, some static beast with limb lifts or core stability or rotary stability, and then ice and stem for the knee. And then we just, it was crazy that when I first started doing it, um, athletes were like, I'm fine now. Like they had no more issues and that pain that they've had for, you know, for four years had gone away completely. And they were actually coming back stronger and faster. So coaches were like, what are you doing in rehab? That these kids came back instead of coming back and like they haven't done nothing in six weeks and they're weak, they were coming back faster and stronger and more control and more like more movement. And it was like, well, this is the thing. So I just started writing up what I was doing and turn it into a cert to try and help athletic trainers design rehab programs. Uh, that's awesome, man. And that kind of really tapers back into, you know, addressing the cause instead of the symptom, right? Yeah. I mean, we speak about this a lot and it's something that, you know, not even just in athletics, but just in everyday life in the world today, like we really just often throw a bandaid on something and don't really get to the root cause of the problem. Um, and I think when it comes specifically to, you know, athletics and injuries and that nature of things, it's important for people to understand that just because you have a knee problem, like a knee, sorry, a knee pain doesn't mean you have a knee problem. You know, for example, the knee is, you know, there might be an ankle problem and then the knee takes the brunt of it. There might be hip, you know, lack of mobility there. And so then the knee is going to take the brunt. It's the same thing with a lot of low back problems. It's not actually the back. It's just the back is taking the brunt of the issue. So it's, it's teaching people to understand that, you know, just because pain is localized to a certain area doesn't mean that that is where the issue is. 
And so that's why we have to take this big, you know, more of a holistic approach and kind of look at, you know, day-to-day patterns and stressors and where's this coming from and, you know, ask them more in-depth questions about, okay, like this is where it hurts, but what are you doing day-to-day that might be causing this issue? Like you said, you have all those screens to do that, but it's really kind of like, like Freya said earlier, bringing consciousness to the things that we're doing day-to-day to see how that might reflect what's going on with the body. Yeah, and that's and and it was also for athletic trainers because I know in school I learned all about you know anatomy, physiology, joint insertions and origins and and all this stuff I learned, and then there was no nothing more. There was no continuing that for ATCs like personal trainers and physical therapists. There was more stuff, but specifically for the the field I was in, there was wasn't much for us to learn more about fascia, about the foot, about all this stuff I learned about in my personal training world. So I was like, there's got to be a way to bring it to ATCs, and that's how Rooted Rehab came about. And the the interesting thing is, too, like you were talking about bringing conscious and awareness. Like as I keep studying and learning more, you start learning that like everything's driven by like emotion and belief. And, Absolutely. Um, and it could be a childhood trauma, so your knee could hurt, but it could be because at the age of eight, you fell off your bike and you jammed the hell out of your hip, and now you won't release your hip, not because of movement issue, but because of the trauma still there. From the fact that that eight-year-old kid still believes that that part of you still believes that that hip is or that hip is all jacked up, so you have to almost believe in the treatment itself too. So that's another whole layer of movement and everything else that's very difficult for people to understand trauma. And um, two good books uh, that were that I read on it was actually an audio book. I didn't read them, but still, um, one's <laughs> called "When the Body Says No" and the other one's uh, "Your Body Keeps the Score." That and those two were excellent. I love those books. And when the body says no, I, I uh, selectively will recommend that to people because I know with some people it'll scare the um, yeah, crap out of them, right? Yeah, like you'll feel like you're totally doomed. But that is, yeah, by Norman uh, Deutsch, that is an excellent book and it really does help understand the integration of, of the physical things. And if uh, there's a book called Endure that is exploring endurance events, obviously, by Alex Hutchinson, and it it talks about the limbic system and that's our emotional processing for a physiological event and how that, and and that makes sense in trauma too, right? Like it's your emotional processing for what happened to you physically and neurons that fire together, wire together. So you experience that emotion again, you're going to potentially experience that pain again and kind of vice versa. Um, so, and that loops right back into mindset, which is exactly, exactly. I know, I know for me, one of the big things was like roller coasters, right? Like some people freaked out about roller coasters. I didn't really have a, a care for them, but I never knew why I didn't like them. And then I went to Great Adventure one time with my mom, and I realized how freaked out she was about the roller coaster. So I was like, my fear didn't even come from me. It came from her passing that down to me, and then I was then scared to go on them. And then I decided, like, I'm just going to give it a try. And they're not that bad. Like, once you go on, I mean, they're, they're scary, but it's a, a fun adrenaline rush. But my fear of them didn't come from me. It came because it was passed down to me. And, and I know I heard Bob Proctor say this one time. He said, um, what you don't fix, they'll inherit. So it's very important that, like, as parents, you have to think about the conscious when you're teaching your kids things. Are you putting your limitations onto your children? As a teacher, same thing. As a mentor, same thing. As a personal trainer, same thing. Is it your limitation that you're pushing onto that person you're working with? And it's difficult to be aware of that all the time. Absolutely. It's interesting that you touched on that because you also mentioned the word belief earlier about, um, you know, somebody has to believe in something that they're doing. But I find that not only does an athlete or a mover or any human being have to believe in what they're doing for success, but they also have to have someone else who believes in it. And, you know, when there's someone that they're working with that believes that the ceiling is an inch above their head and they're a person within a position of authority on a subject matter that like an athletic therapist, for example, then the athlete's going to respond to that, right? Because the assumption is always I'm in your care and your belief is that I can only get this much better. And it puts a limit, which is most often unintentional on the person who's being cared for. And we see that sometimes in training too, right? Where you're just kind of like, oh, well, I guess this is as good as as good as it's going to get. And it's like, well, I'm not going to settle for that. Um, and that's where, you know, the, the mindset is really interesting because it's like when there's a coach and athlete relationship or a therapist and person relationship, it, it can be the person like the coach or the therapist that puts unknowingly that block on progress for the person at hand. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've seen that a lot, especially, in, and not to knock, like, the PT profession, but one thing I noticed is that, and rightfully so, they operate with a lot of protocols due yeah. to insurance and I'm sure other things. Um, but it's like, yeah, you can't, no, you can't do this yet. You can't do this yet. And the kid, like, you know, the kid wants to run. They feel that they can run. Instead of saying you can't do that yet, all you have to do is change your mindset and be like, hey, let's, let's try taking eight steps or go from here to here. And that may be all that kid needs to eventually start building the belief in himself again. But when you, like, restrict them, say no movement for six weeks, and then any movement that person feels like is going to jar that injury or make it worse again. And it's like, man, you got to let them go sometimes. and Let them go, but create small parameters and, and start expanding that box as they go through the rehab process instead of saying, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, and just hammer that home to them. And then to the point where they just start believing that they can't, and then they never do again. I've had adults come to me like, yeah, I haven't been able to run since high school when I tore my ACL. Like, dude, you should be able to run now. Like, that injury has been healed. You're ready to go. You just, in your mind, have created limitation because of this knee, not knowing that if you just did the right exercises, you'd be able to go. Yeah, I mean, we all put ourselves in certain boxes. You know, it's uh, it's the beliefs that we have. And again, even like you said, from maybe childhood or in high, you know from high school and then into early adulthood, maybe our first jobs. I mean, there's all certain beliefs that based on the influences we had in our lives, we were told, hey, you were good at this or you were not good at this. Or maybe you tried something once and just you didn't do well at it and you just assumed, well, I'm not naturally good enough to do that. And therefore, that's not something I'm going to do again. And so these are all just beliefs they're not based in fact but they're all kind of just little parameters that we unknowingly just kind of go through our life just kind of believing um and i think fran and i have both had several clients who have come to us you know they say they don't do xyz because 10 years ago they had this one issue and so it's just like no i, I can't run because i you know i had this 10 years ago and then you give them a movement screen and it's like uh about that <laughs> yeah you can definitely run and there's another book of biology of belief and one of the things in that book that freaked me out was when they said uh, if you were to get into like an atom or see the inside of an atom, there'd be nothing there but space. It'd be just energy, basically. And so you start to think of what's everything made up of. And then like, well, if my energy just shifts. Then technically it's happened on the cellular level, too, which means energy shifting there, which means now I can do that if I just believe it. And it sounds like like this fluffy thing and this, oh my God, you, you like yogi guru type talk, <laughs> but it's really not. It's like, honestly, the truth. And it's funny how many science people, when they really start diving into this and like Wim Hof's a great example, like, I just believe I can walk in the freaking, in the climb Mount Everest in shorts and I can just breathe my way through and not be fine. And, and he does it. And then, then now science starts saying, wait a second, there may be something to this. Um, and a lot of people I know who are deep into science, they'll eventually start when they dive down there and they're learning, it almost comes back to belief and, and, and stuff like that, religion or whatever, whatever you want to believe on that end. And they end up there because they're like, well, the science only gets you so far. And I think it has to catch up still to the, the true beings that we are. Yeah. And the, the true limits. And I always say that when people come in, um, and they've built an aversion to movement, for whatever reason, whether somebody told them when they were young that they were out of shape and that's just, they weren't athletic or whether they had an injury and then just subconsciously eliminated a bunch of movements from their diet. And when they come in, it's, and they say they can't do a certain thing. Um, it's, it's often moving out of fear versus out of awareness of what's going on. And when, uh, I've had a number of hip injuries and I started swimming again after like 15 years, not in the pool. And it was more like watching a drowning flamingo, but I, I mean, I got my older brother to, to help me out and he's a really good swimmer. So he taught me, but then the other thing is this one over here decided to join me. And, uh, his observation was interesting because Dane was a little bit like a motorboat going through the water. He's just attacking the water like a strong man would. And, um, and then after, I don't know how many months, a couple months, you know, we're both getting a little better. And a year later, we're both significantly better. And now the cueing we're working on is very minute things with the stroke. And, and Dane looks at me, he's like, who knew? I had no idea that if I just practiced something, I might be good at it. And it was very tongue in cheek, but it was also just like, Hey, we're in our thirties. He was like, I've never been a swimmer. That's just not what I was built to do i'm super strong and now he swims very well that's awesome relative, that's actually relative to the motorboat yeah relative to when he started i'm assuming but like that's actually interesting because of my when i jumped into the animal flow world 
Um, the reason what resonated with me was Mike's story starting at age 30 to do all these moves when my whole life I was like, oh, those guys can do it because they were gymnasts from they were kids. Or you look at someone like Ido, like, oh, he did Capoeira for 15 years. It makes sense that these guys can do this thing. And to find someone who really just was like, all right, I'm just going to do this at age 30. Then I was like, damn, no more excuses. I guess I got to try this now. You know, so it was really cool. And that journey has been, has helped me tremendously with belief and mindset and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I have, I have to thank Freya a lot for that. You know, when we, when we met, I was, I was pretty blocked up in, in the mindset and, you know, I had a big knee injury and she helped me through a lot of that. And I mean, even just in meeting Mike myself and, and the animal flow, like, you know, 10 years ago, if I'd looked at that stuff, it would have been the same thing. I would have been like, are you kidding? I'm a block. Like that, that's not a thing I'm ever going to be able to do. And just with daily practice and the belief that you're just, you see the minute improvements and that you just have to really focus on the, the tiny things that are improving. And just that gives you that little fuel for the fire of belief that, you know, if you just keep doing it, like you're going to keep getting incrementally better. And that's just the principle of like whatever kind of skill you want to develop, whether it's athletically or just what anything in the world, just just every day, tiny little improvements. Right. And that's, what's, you know, incredible about mindset. It's that belief that you can do it. And that it's never too late to start to your point. Like, no, it's never, never too late to start. I mean, I guess there, there's some things like you're not going to be an Olympic gymnast no. starting at age 40. How dare, how dare you? You, you just crushed Dane's dreams. <laughs> Dude, I've been working so hard. Um, <laughs> For a couple of years, you want to be there. Yeah. Um, actually, this kind of segues us really in nicely too. Like, you also run some men's mindset groups, right? Yes, it's a it's a mentoring group for men. Yeah, that's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and specifically like what inspired it and and what they are? Um, so <laughs> another like random story. So I was um everyone says like when you have a kid that like, you're gonna like you know you lose friendships and things like that. Um, and so I had been talking to my friends like individually, uh, just about like more deep conversations. Like we would have these conversations around my I would we call it the floasis in my backyard. Um, so we would sit around the fire and just chatting with different friends, um, about life, about girls, about whatever else. And I was realizing that they like, after we had these conversations, how good I felt. And they were always like next day, text me or whatever. Like, yo bro, thank you so much for that or whatever. And so because I was able to open up like emotionally and start talking about certain things, I noticed that they would open up as well and talk about certain things. So I was like, what if we had a group that we can just like hang out and all talk about this together because I realized while my girl's still pregnant, like when I have a kid, I'm not going to have the time to have these individual conversations. So it was very selfish to start, to be honest. Um, and so what happened was I just reached out to like six of my close friends who some of them knew each other. Some of them had never met. And I was like, Hey, would you be interested in like meeting uh, at my house for like a group of guys to just talk about life? And six of them came. And then from there, like the first meeting, no one knew what to expect. And I kind of, it was very organic and just started off with like one or two questions. And before you know it, two hours later, everyone's like, man, that was awesome. And then we scheduled the next one and then the next one. And a, a year and a half, well, it's been a year and three months later, we're still doing it. And everyone looks forward to it and we're pumped about it. Um, and now we're starting to do like workshops where we bring other guys in. Because my big thing was capping at, uh, capping at eight people. Just because any more than that, you lose the intimacy of the group. And it gets too, like, diluted with larger groups. So we start talking about hosting workshops where we can then bring other people in who want to maybe start their own group or just want to learn more about it. And so we just did our first one uh, last month. and It was really good. The feedback was awesome. So, man, that's how it all started, man. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's incredible, man. Um, I know I've always been kind of known in my peer group as like the guy who will talk about stuff <laughs> no, and I'm, cry openly yeah, and yeah and cry openly I, i'm that guy i'll watch a i'll watch a tim hortons commercial and i'll, I'll tear up a little bit you know I, I get that honestly i get that honestly from my my father and his grandfather before that but um yeah, yeah i think that's again it just ties into the mindset the emotional iq all that piece um, and especially again, going back into the social media in this day and age, it's like the taboo stuff. Like, you know, you gotta be tough. You gotta be strong. You gotta be all these things. And you know, you can be tough and strong and emotive, you know, like it's, uh, <laughs> like, it's just when, when you, we talk about trauma and that blocking, you know, physical abilities or holding injuries or that kind of thing. It's the same thing. If you're suppressing emotions and how you feel about things, I mean, that's going to that's gonna domino into all these other aspects of your lives. And I know there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, sure, there are women as well, but guys especially, they really just 
hold things close to the vest and don't necessarily feel like they have anybody to talk to about that. Um, so I think that that's an amazing initiative, man. Yeah, they tend to let it out physically, and then you get fighting, and then you get all the, you know, I, I think, honestly, if the women, if the world was run by women, we'd have less of the, the wars and fighting and all that other stuff, I'm sure. Correct. I'd be a little better off, to be honest with you. But I actually got a question for you now. You said that um, with your grandfather and your father, did you notice that in them, like, people would come to get information or to be mentored by them? No, because what was interesting about that as well is that they, like, they were emotive guys, but they didn't actually show that outside of the home. So it was one of those things where I actually really brought that out of my dad uh, growing up because he, he still had the relationship with his father that was very much more handshake than it was hug. And the way that they brought me up, and, and I don't even know if it's necessarily how they brought me up. It was just naturally what I felt like. I've just always been a hugger. <laughs> and 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 I would just, I was always honest with my parents and I would just try and emote. And I really brought out that side of my father and like kind of helped him tap into that, I think, as he kind of aged a little bit as well. So um, I, I know that I've had that impact on him. And uh, I think that uh, this is definitely something that in the future, I think that we should explore expanding up to toronto man <laughs> yeah i think that'd be great because it's very interesting my uh my grandfather in puerto rico my grandma would tell me and when i would go there in the summers i'd see it people would come from all over just to talk to him yeah, and he'd sit there and talk to people and then my dad growing up i noticed my friends would come and ask my dad life questions like not their own dad they'd ask him about stuff and then so it's i felt it was very natural for me to do this and it's like seeing the example they set. I'm like, well, we can do this on a on a different scale, you know. Um, so that it was nat a natural progression for me to kind of take the reins from what they did and make it a formal thing more so than the way they did it. Yeah, it's that's amazing. excellent. My uh, my mom often will tear up if she's talking about something that's she calls them happy tears too. Um, and she's done it in public speaking, and she'll just pause and she'll be like. I just want you to know I'm comfortable with this. So I hope you're comfortable with this. And, awesome. Right? Because it's just like, it's just emotion. She's like, I'm just expressing happiness. It's just kind of flowing out of my eyes right now. Um, we call that leaking. That <laughs> so, I got to use that one. Okay. I'm just leaking. It's all. <laughs> so um, as far as like, you've got a ton of videos out there that speak to inspiration, that speak to vulnerability. And, um, what is it that gets you up every day and inspires you? Because everyone has a vision that like, you know, they'll look on social media and they'll see somebody striving for whatever it is, success. And they'll have this idea that, oh, they've got it all sorted out. And you've always been very open about like, no, I don't. But I also have very strong roots and foundations in terms of what I'm striving for and that every day I'm putting in my best. So what is it that inspires you and drives you every day? I think a lot of it is just the ability to be honest with people and, and I don't know it's going to sound weird, but I kind of feel like being stronger for other people because other people are easily manipulated by this BS that people put out there on social media. Um, again, we talk about like the fake success and, and also being able to meet certain people in industries that were considered gurus or are considered gurus and these great people who do these amazing things and finding out behind the scenes, they're actually assholes. Yeah. And like, no, bro, that's crazy. Like, you know, and I think a lot of it is my upbringing in the South Bronx, where for me, when I was raised, it's like you either had to show, like you had to show the proof. Like if you say you're going to fight somebody, everyone has to witness you stomping someone out or whooping someone's ass in order to give you respect. You didn't just get it because you walked up and you said it, right? And I feel like in business and other things, it's like you're able to skate by just BSing people the whole time. And so for me, the BS radar has always been really high, where like you better prove yourself if you're going to say something. And... That to me was like the thing I feel like keeps me going because it's like, all right, I see I'm helping people. People are, you know, feeding, giving me feedback and saying, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much for saying this. And I'm like, wow, I guess what I'm doing is good. So I'll just keep going with it. And the interesting thing, there's really no end to it. I don't have an end goal of where I want to be. It just is. I think we, we focus so much on goal setting. We have to have this number by that day. And then that day hits and you're not even any happier and nothing's really changed. So for me, it's just, I guess, being pregnant and just being in the moment and being like, I feel like talking about this today. And then talking about it without fear of what someone else is going to say or who's going to bash me. Because I realize 
that their negative comments come from their perspective, which may be very limited. So that I may be talking at a level they can't understand yet. And maybe in five years they will, maybe they never will, but that's not like their comfort is not in my concern. So I really have to always remind myself of that. And after a while of reminding yourself about that, you're just like, I'm just floating by and figuring this out as I go along and nothing's really in my control. So I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just fantastic, man. And it's like, it's just living with honesty, right? Yeah. And, uh, I tell people all the time, like, it's fantastic to have goals, ambitious goals. It's great. But if the process is just something you don't enjoy, I mean, I mean, get out, like, like, tr try again, like pick a different goal, you know, like it's, this is, I always tell people, you know, especially a lot of people come to me for help with losing weight. And, you know, I'm, I love helping people with that, but I'm, I'm, I'm always challenging them on that number that they want to find. Right. They're like, when I'm at this number, I'm going to feel so good. And I ask, okay, but what does that mean? Like, what does feel good mean to you? And why specifically that number? And, you know, are you happy right now doing the habits that, you know, you're working on? Is this something that works for you? Or are you miserable? You know, we just spoke to some other people the other day and we're like, are you living in a world of sad salads trying to lose weight? Or are you actually enjoying the process, right? So it's, it's just such a big thing. We need to make the, the exactly, hashtag sad salads. We're going to make this a big thing. That should be a big man, and and I and I love that you say that to people. Um, and Freya knows, and I and Mike, we've talked about uh, me and Mike Fitch talked about this. And when we were out in Indonesia, I know Freya has a very strict diet for specific reasons. But I've I've talked about it all the time. Like I am not a nutrition person at all. Like I enjoy my rum and coke at night. Like that's just the life I live, and I understand that there's certain things that I won't have because I don't want to put the effort in to do them because they're not going to make me happy to, to put that process will never make me happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very important that you understand, like you said, enjoy the process, like the process of animal flow and, and hand balancing has been very painful at times and have up and downs and it's been a frustrating, but it's also had its joys. But I, even the bad times I enjoy the process versus other things in my life. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, so you have to really, like you said, enjoy the process of the things that you're going after and not be so focused on the goal that you lose sight of the process along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is funny that you, uh, that you mentioned the food thing. Cause even then, you know, when people are like, Oh my God, you can barely eat, you know, so many things. And I, I said, yeah, but I figured out what I can. And more importantly, it's not a restriction because now I get to experience life with the people that I love. It's not about whether I got to share a croissant with them. It's about the fact I got to spend time with them and, enjoy the process instead of being laid up in bed. Um, so it's, I mean, it goes right back to the same route. Now, as far as like, as coaches, you've been coaching since you were 15, we all learn, um, and draw inspiration from our clients. So, and often perhaps more than they know, and it often hits us at a later point in time. Have there been any major moments in training someone or a group of people for you that have created a peak moment in your life, a change in your approach, or like the dime dropped in terms of like, oh, okay, I get it at all over the last 20 years? Yeah, there's been so, there's been a lot. Um, we kind of guessed there would be. <laughs> yeah, there's been so many. One that like sticks out in my mind for some reason when you said that was there, I had an uh, athlete with an ACL injury and she couldn't squat. And this is before I really got into the belief stuff and everything else. And she just, just couldn't figure out like, She's already almost returning to play. Like she was like a month out. She's supposed to be a return. She couldn't get past, like, not even close to 90. And I was like, well, how are you clearing this girl without this ability, right? And at that time, um, they had just started with the voodoo floss tape. Um, and people are still using, like, inner tubes to do that stuff. Now, like, rock, rock tape has their version. Everyone uses it. But I had saw a video with uh, Kelly Starrett and using it. And I was like, what is this stuff? So I ordered something just to try it out. And I was doing it with myself. So I put the, the tape around her knee, kind of like a blood flow restriction type thing, and she was able to squat to the ground. Oh, and wow. literally, like she squatted to the ground without a problem, and it was just her brain needed to feel stable and feel that yeah. stability. So like we did like 10, 15 squats. I kid you not, 10, 15 squats. A girl couldn't squat below 90 before that. Took the band off, and she had full squat range of motion. And it was like, and she like burst into tears. She was like crying. She was so happy that she was able to do this thing now. And it was at that moment, it was like, literally, I, I in my mind, I, I just made that up like to see if it would work. It was more of a, an experiment for me than it actually was part of her rehab. But after that, she was able to move. And it was like that one moment 
she needed that breakthrough and she needed that belief and she needs to let go of those tears, which are probably holding her back too. Um, and all that, you know, she was able to then now run and move and, and go about her life. She wound up playing soccer professionally after that overseas and everything. And it was like crazy that one moment, you know, we got to share that moment together. And I was like, this is insane that, that this little bit of tape around her knee was able to break that habit. And once it came off, she was good to go. That's excellent. And that's, that's the beauty of neuroplasticity, right? Make the brain feel safe and the body yeah. responds. If the brain doesn't feel safe. It's just, man, you can throw any rehab protocol at it and it just won't get there. I love that story. That's excellent. Uh, yeah. But I think it's also for our belief too. Like, yeah, I know totally. me, like, I, I sometimes question my creativity because I'm like, well, there's no research on this thing yet. Should I try it? And like, that was a moment where like, you know what, your ideas, like there's something, you know, just go fucking with it. Don't like worry about everything else. Just go with it and, 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 and trust me and trust yourself almost. And like, for me, it was a breakthrough as much as it was for her. So I'm sure you guys had that experience as well. Yeah, definitely. I've had people say it similarly that they will never be able to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, I hear that. I trust the surgeon's opinion or the physician's opinion. And we're not going to go, we're not flying against that at all. We're going to proceed with safety, but also with things that, you know, intuitively and logically feel good, make sense, and just see where we can get you without putting, putting blockers on what your human potential uh, could be. Yeah, and uh, I I just like to put it out there right now for all our listeners. What are your beliefs, and are you believing something that might be holding you back in your life? I mean, it's it's just that belief system is so so key. So if you know, we all put these restrictions on ourselves. So I challenge all the re- the listeners out there is just. You know, is there a belief that's holding you back? So, Chris, we have a few final wrap-up questions. You mentioned uh, a couple books early on in this podcast. Now, you could stick with those books as book recommendations, but I want to know, do you have another impactful book that you've read in the past six months to a year? Um, impactful book, I would say I'm re- I'm, I read it before, but I'm re-listening to it again. Drive by Dan Pink um, it was a great book on like motivation and whatnot. Um, so I definitely recommend that one. I'm currently working on mine, so when it's done, I'm going to recommend that. Um, And it's basically, yeah, my book is on uh, 18 Principles of Life. And what they are is um, I wrote it for my son as like like almost like a Ten Commandments. Like these are 18 things our family believes in, and this is what our family, the rules our family lives by. And so I did it in a presentation on legacy. I did that at a, at a summit, and so then everyone gave me this crazy feedback. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to write a book on it. So each principle is going to be a chapter, and just like why we believe in, the, in that thing and the story that kind of backs it up so that, God forbid, you know, anything were to happen to me or whatever, like he would have that as something to, as a guide for him as he goes through life. So I'm writing that. So when that comes out, I'll recommend that. Yeah, well, as soon as that comes out, you let us know, and we'll, we'll pop you back on this podcast. We can talk all about it, all right? That'd be awesome. Um, and then a couple more. What is your non-negotiable self-care tool or habit that you do every day? Like to care, take care of you. What's your non-negotiable? So I have at um, I I create this like daily planner that I fill out in the morning and night. But the night ones are non-negotiable because at night I write down my accomplishments for the day. And I think that's necessary because I had like monkey brain, like everyone else. Like at the end of the day, I'm like, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, and like. I, I question, I would think about everything I didn't do and never remember anything I did do. So I have to do that at night or else I have a hard time going to sleep because I start thinking about the hundred things I've accomplished. Yes. We call those brain dumps. I love that. That's excellent. Yeah. I was going to say that was, that was actually a response for uh, somebody we recently had on the podcast as well. Like the brain dumps at the end of the day are, I mean, they're so super valuable. A lot of people do those just to make sure they kind of keep on track and prioritize their sleep. So yeah. And if you've had a busy day, it kind of gets your feet back on the ground where they might be floating a mile above. Think of all the other things you got to do tomorrow. You wouldn't know anything about that. Nope. Don't know anything about that. <laughs> so last question. If you had five minutes with someone, what one thing would you try to impart with them to help them with their well-being? It can be any part of their well-being. Um, honestly, I would, I would say to trust yourself. Like trust that inner voice, that knowing, that deep visceral in the, in your cellular level of knowing the truth because we all ignore that and that honestly if you just listen to that it would guide us through 
Yeah, that's that's so good, man. That intuition piece. Uh, it's you know trusting your gut. We're we always talk about how you know it's kind of bred out of us in this day and age. You know, from youth we have so many uh, rules that we're just told that like this is the rule, and so you lose your intuition because you're just told this is the way that is, and so you never have to actually have to trust your gut. Um, so that is a huge thing that we we definitely speak to our clientele about and I think more people really need to look into it because people think it's all hippy dippy and it's I mean man like the the gut is really the first brain like well you think about like even even in school one thing I I noticed working in the high school and that and also working in the college is like you're graded on everything you're told you're wrong most of the time and the way we grade is like pass or fail you get a C and you're waiting for someone to justify everything you do and say it's okay and then when you do something, you realize all the greats, if you read all their biographies and everything else, it's always the same story. Oh, and everyone said that was dumb. Everyone said I wouldn't make it. Everyone, and, and, they, and all of a sudden, those are the people we worship and we praise for their bravery and all this other stuff. So why not invest that in kids early on, instill that in them early on, and imagine what we can accomplish? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the education system has a lot of opportunities with it. I mean, you know, right now we're, you know, kids learn from failing, you know, in school, we're told that you fail, you're wrong, you're bad, it's over, you know, so it's we really need to shake that up a lot. Because if we, you know, teaching kids that failure is good, because the more you fail, the more chances you have to succeed. That's how you grow. Um, So that's a huge message for anybody out there. I think that's a I think that's a Michael Jordan quote. But um I'd be misquoting it. <laughs> Just keep failing till you succeed. <laughs> Fail all the time. I'm Michael Jordan. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, I, th- I think Freya has one more thing. We need yeah. to know where can people find you because we know how to find you. Oh but goodness. where can people find you? Where can people watch the videos? Um, where's the best source to find out about the book when it is released? I mean, we'll obviously have you back on and post it. But where can people keep an eye out in advance? Um, you can go on, on Instagram. It's flo underscore fitness so flow fitness um i'm on uh facebook at chris flow and right now those are the two main sources i use instagram and facebook if anybody has questions on like wants to work with me doing philosophy stuff or do a 14-day challenge with me you just email flowosophy at gmail.com and i'll get back to you on that um yeah so those are the main ones and i post everything on my instagram and facebook so if anything comes out you'll know from there that's awesome. Yeah, man. Chris is Chris is all over social media. He has a great message. So I just want to thank you so much for uh, coming out with us today, Chris. Um, you keep us posted on that book and we will absolutely have you back. Okay, brother? Yeah, man. Thank you guys for trusting yourselves enough to put this thing together and pushing forward with it. I'm excited to see where it goes. Hey, hey we appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. And a lot of that is also with some of the conversations we've had with you. You just create a thing and if it becomes a thing, then cool. But if it doesn't, that's okay. Yeah, fail forward. Exactly. Fail forward. Fail forward, my friends. All right, Chris. Thanks so much for coming out. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on the Move Daily Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.